Welcome to Beyond the Pen, the podcast that delves into the untold stories of emerging authors and the literary world. I'm your host, Maccabee Griffin, and each week I'll be shining a spotlight on talented yet undiscovered authors, giving them a platform to share their incredible stories and unique journeys that brought them to the world of writing. In each episode, we'll deep dive into the story behind the story, exploring the inspirations, challenges, and triumphs that have shaped our guests' literary careers, and have some fun along the way. From the initial spark of an idea to the journey of crafting and publishing their books, we'll uncover the secrets that make their stories truly special. But that's not all. Once a month, we'll be joined by an expert from the publishing world who will share invaluable insights and advice for aspiring writers, answering your burning questions, and demystifying the path to success in the literary industry. At Beyond the Pen, my mission is simple, to entertain, educate, and encourage the next generation of great storytellers. So whether you're a writer, an avid reader, or simply someone with a passion for storytelling, Join us as we venture beyond the pen and celebrate the power of the written word. Um, we've had a lot of different things going on in the background. Uh, I had a few things on my end that were coming up to some new opportunities and they checked out and now I'm working on a few other projects now, which is awesome. But we're not here for me today. We are here to talk to Mr. Matthew Witten. And the first time that we had this conversation with me and Matt, it was it was simply one of those intriguing moments because this gentleman has been he's done it all. He's been around the world. He has taken us around the world and everything from his uh, his playwriting to his TV writing. Yes, I said TV. And now in his novels, this gentleman has done three forms of storytelling that is very rare, honestly, in, in, in my mind. Uh, and in many of people's minds too because it's it's very hard to actually be able to go to someone and say yes i am a trifecta when it comes to authoring i have written books i have written plays i have written television uh scripts i mean this guy's done everything he's even done blogs i mean this guy is amazing when it comes to his writing he is all over the place i don't think he can actually sit down very uh, for very long because he's already thinking about something else and creating something else for everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I want to bring on Mr. Matthew Witten. Matthew, Matt, if I may say, say that, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for uh, having me, and uh, thank you for that wonderful introduction. I loved it. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. I try to make them at least somewhat special because I am talking to the trifecta of trifectas. <laughs> I, it's amazing. First off, just because, you know, there was some amazing, amazing information about you out there. Uh, but most importantly, you know, some of the things about your plays, one of them was the um, your favorites, 
uh, Sacred Journey. Yes. I wanted to tell people, uh, I wanted to ask you about it because I I thought the the story behind it was pretty amazing. So if you could, could you elaborate on where you got that inspiration for that specific play and, you know, how well did it actually do? Uh, sure, I'll be glad to tell you the inspiration. But first I should say, you're an amazing trifecta too. You do podcasts, you're a writer, you're an actor. I mean, that's three right there. That's true, yes. Uh, yeah, Thank you. Absolutely, we're all, <laughs> we're all trifectas. <laughs> uh, I got the idea for the play Sacred Journey because I was living in Brooklyn, and every day I would uh, walk by a guy who was uh, sitting on the street with his uh, dog, and a homeless guy, and he was very friendly. And I started to talk to him, and, you know, we wound up over a period of time just having these long conversations when I would pass him on the street. So finally, uh, one day I said, you know, I think you'd make a great one-man play. I think a story of your life would be awesome. And uh, I took him to see an off-Broadway show, a one-man off-Broadway show starring Cleveland Little, so he would know what I was talking about, what kind of uh, play I was referring to. And he was into it. So he came over to my apartment and I um, uh, asked him questions, interviewed him for, you know, a couple of weeks and, uh, and uh, you know, transcribed everything that he said. And it was just an amazing story. It was about a guy who uh, grew up on a Native American reservation. Uh, his, um, his mother died in a way that he felt responsible for. His father committed suicide after saying goodbye to him and then going out into the woods and shooting himself. Mm-hmm. This guy wound up um, being in a uh, uh, Native American residential boarding school, which they used to have, a place where they would uh, wash his mouth out with soap if he spoke his language um, and um, do everything to get rid of his uh, culture. He lost his uh, he lost track of his younger brother. Uh, his his sister became a prostitute, and he wound up you know alcoholic, homeless, and all of this. And somehow he came out of this like the most amazing guy. So I wrote this one person play, and it wound up being very successful. It was produced all over the country. It was produced in England, and when the play came to New York for a couple of months, the real life guy came to see it and. Um, he was very uh, moved by it. He came every single night, and he was there at the talkbacks, talking to the audience. And this, you know, this was repeated all over: you know, New Mexico, Minnesota, Oklahoma, uh, England. So it was, it was a, uh, it was an amazing experience, and it really taught me that, uh, you know, write what you're passionate about. Because here I am; it's 30 years later or whatever it is, and it's like out of all the things I've written in my life, um, including, you know, House and Law and Order and these other shows. You know, it's probably what I'm, you know, most proud of. I found that when going through your book, by the way, the book that we're going to be talking about is Killer, Killer Story. And when we, when you look at it and you look at all the inspirations that are comparative or compounded within this, within this book, uh, I think it all just comes down to, one major inspiration, if I may be so bold to say, and that's just from the people that surrounded you. Uh, one of the people that you talked about in the acknowledgments was a lady by the name of Raquel Hext. I believe that's how you say her last name. She's a immigration lawyer and writer in uh, Eugene, Oregon. And you based 
some of the uh, backstory, basically, for uh, Jasmine in this. What was it that really inspired you to just go after these immigration stories, these real life stories, to be the basis of this specific novel? There's a young woman that we know that is a uh, first generation immigrant. Her parents came over from Mexico. And, you know, most first generation immigrants, um, you know, the stereotype would be, and I think there's truth in it, is that they'll try to get a good middle class job. They'll try to become nurses or police officers or sanitation engineers. You know, something that's a good solid job because, you know, to get a good solid middle class life is, is just a tremendous, you know, kind of achievement. So that was true of my ancestors, and I think it's true of most you know, first-generation uh, immigrants. But this woman that I'm speaking of that we know, um, she wanted more. She wanted to achieve her dream. She wanted to go all the way. You know, She wasn't satisfied with that middle-class life. So she didn't go with what her parents, who I love, you know, might have preferred. And she was going to be a movie director, and that was her thing. She was going to go all the way. Well, it was very difficult. She she did get into a, a good uh, college for 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 movie to become a movie director, but it was, but it was difficult. For instance, during the summers when her peers would take free internships at production companies, she couldn't do that. She had to make money for her family and for herself, and uh, she didn't have as great connections. I mean, she had me; I was able to help, but she didn't have as great connections. So she went to work after uh, college, and she worked at uh, Lionsgate, and it was like, you know, a good job. It was a good, solid kind of job, but she still wanted more, but it looked to her like the movie directing, you know, wasn't going to work out. So now she's 32, and she just started going to law school. Uh, she wants to be an entertainment lawyer. So again, it's like she's got this new, you know, big dream, you know, to be you know, to be a fancy lawyer and in the entertainment field, which she loves. And uh, instead of this sort of, you know, kind of not great job at, at, at Lionsgate. So it's just, I really admire her like, like going all the way. So that was the, that was the immigration part of the inspiration, you know, for this story. Uh, the woman you spoke of, Raquel Hecht, I also uh, love hearing her immigration stories too. And, and one of them, as you mentioned, I, you know, with her permission, uh, I, I copied, I think, two paragraphs out of a story that she wrote uh, uh, about one of the uh, immigrants that she's worked with. Um, so, you know, that that was my inspiration, um, this uh, rooting for the underdog and the underdog with dreams. And and this is not the first time. Like I said, you, you've, you've been doing this in most of your writing, though, uh, especially if we look at the... Uh, scripts of, you know, House, Law and Order, um, pretty much everything that you've been a part of. Even on uh, Supernatural, there's certain points of, you know, these great stories of, you know, either immigrants coming in and being able to be, be those underdogs, and then all of a sudden they're these great inspirational people that people want to admire. But Here's the other thing that I wanted to base that I, reason I was asking these things is because when we look at one of the major characters of Killer Story, she is against all of this. You know, at, at first she's like th this young little 
young lady, you know, she's what, 15 years old, 14, 15 years old. Her name is Lizzie, and she just wants to be a journalist. She wants to write great stories and be famous, like every journalist. But now, you know, she gets into Harvard, and all of a sudden, she's against immigrants. She is against gay marriage. She's against all these things. And, you know, obviously, there is that aspect of she's had some trauma in her life. You know, her mom was murdered. You know, the, the person that uh, was leading her that day had gone through the same thing. Was it that specific event that really just changed her mind on how she viewed the world? Or was it was it specifically attached to that specific event? Uh, yeah, it's I love writing that character. And I've just been fascinated by people that that join these terrible groups, be it, uh, I'll tell you my political opinions, you know, be it a terrible group like ISIS or be it a terrible group like the uh, alt-right. Um, and uh, these these people are, are, are just so, so, so vicious and, and hateful in their opinions. And, you know, some of them, it's just so hard to believe. I mean, I'm here in Los Angeles and uh, I know a young woman who was, uh, went to a school with my kids and you know it's a nice school, private school. She had plenty of money. Um, she um, she uh, either she's Jewish herself. I'm trying to remember, or she you know a million friends that were Jewish. Anyway, she went to U Chicago. She came out of there and she started working with this horrible guy in the Trump administration. I think his name was Stephen Miller, and she herself became pretty uh, pretty famous as just one of the worst mouthpieces and you know horrible you know, vicious, anti-Semitic, racist, anti-immigrant, uh, you know, people in the Trump administration. How can this happen? Who is this girl? Like my, my son said, she was a nice, quiet uh, kid at a high school. And at, uh, even at Chicago, he knew her a little bit. And she was, she was pretty laid back. But she became this crazy, vicious person. So how does this happen to people? So I, I think it's fascinating. In the case of um, the character, you know, that we're speaking of, Olivia, Olivia Anderson, her her mother was killed in in an, in an accident in in a hit and run uh, by a uh, uh, by by someone well by you know by by someone Mexican Mexican American and she does she, so that's that's in the background in her mind but she has another thing that's going on in her life too which I won't reveal too much because I don't want it to be a spoiler but she is. Or going through a terrible thing in her oh. childhood, in what's going on in her personal life as, as a child. And, but she cannot express her anger at the people that are really doing these horrible things to her. And because she can't, this anger builds up in her and, and it gets, it gets misplaced onto, onto something else. And I think that's true a lot of, of a lot of people in ISIS and, and alt-right and these other groups is they have this one kind of anger. And they found this, this, they find this totally inappropriate, uh, place, uh, the place they're in. So I think that's part of what's going on with her is that, is that. And also the, the amazing thing about these groups is they really provide a sense of community. Everybody can get on there together. They can get on the, uh, and chat together and, and, uh, uh, on the, and they can they can they can be together. They can they can share this feeling. Oh my God, the world is totally effed up, and it's because of this, and it's because of this. And oh my God, we're fighting this together. We're in this great fight against 
you know, the forces of evil, and we're going to take them, and we know we're the ones who know what we're talking about. You know, we haven't been red-pilled or whatever. You know, we know exactly what's going on, and we're going to fight it. And um, so I think the sense of community and, and the misplaced hatred, uh, you know, are the two, uh, the two most important things that, that um, to get people going in these groups. And in the novel, it's really important for our hero, uh, the, uh, the podcaster is our hero, uh, and um, it's really important for her to find out why this young girl turned um, sour, or turned, I, I was going to use the word evil, but turned bad. Um, because if she can solve that, then she can solve the murder. It, it is one of those things because as, as sad as it is, it happens. And especially when many of these groups um, actually target young adults who have these anger issues or who are moldable because they haven't found they haven't found that solidif they haven't solidified their identity and this is another thing that's you know through most of the book is you know self-identifying you know even our protagonist is doing it in a way as well because she is this person who just loves to find the truth. She wants, just, again, journalism. She wants to be famous. She wants to be well-known. But she wants people to believe in what she writes. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is, is that out of all the occupations, why journalism? I'm really interested in what's going on in journalism today. You know, as we all know, it's a really tough field to be in. You know, journalists are making a lot less money than they used to. People haven't really figured out a way to monetize journalism these days in a way that totally makes sense. Uh, two newspapers, believe it or not, two newspapers go bankrupt in the United States every week. Uh, we've lost one quarter of our journalism jobs. By the year 2025, it's estimated that we will have lost one third of our journalism jobs. And with all of this going on, uh, still, people in their 20s are still becoming journalists. People in their 20s are still becoming passionate, and um, and they're just dedicated to telling the kinds of stories that you can only tell in journalism, that are important for people to hear, that are important for us to know. And I, I, I admire their passion. I, I wonder about it. It seems almost as crazy as when I was in my 20s and wanted to become a writer, but uh, uh, maybe not that crazy. But um, but you you know what what it's it's oh. it really impresses me. So I wanted to uh, uh, to write about a journalist, somebody in her twenties, and what she experiences, which is not uh, unusual. So that's um, that's why I picked journalism. And and the other thing I would say is that um, as a TV writer, um, like we all get laid off sometimes. Sometimes it's the lingo in the business is uh, we didn't we don't get our contract renewed, and. Uh, you know, sometimes it's just because, you know, the show goes uh, goes under, the show gets canceled. Um, sometimes it's because, um, you know, new new head writer gets hired and they bring in all their own people. But, you know, whatever the reason, it's not easy. So I've been laid off uh, four times over the past uh, 20 years I've been writing for television. So it's, um, I, I, you know, I totally identified with, uh, with what Petra is going through. I, I think it's another thing that many people can actually connect to 
is because of that. Because especially during 2020, there were so many people that were laid off because, again, companies were going under. Small, uh, small mom and pop uh, businesses were going under. Even big companies, Fortune 500 companies, were going bankrupt and having to request money from the government just to stay above water and keep the people that they could. Um, but it was also something else that you said under there, uh, in there, and I can't remember where it was specific, but it was, it stated to the fact that people's, uh, don't ring, don't read long-term form of, um, of stories anymore in the newspaper. And that's why one of, a lot of the times these places are going under too. And yet when we look at Lizzie at the beginning, She's becoming this outspoken activist who's using YouTube as a way of getting her voice out there. And people are just following her like in droves, even though it's, you know, it's hateful um, conversation that's coming out. It's still people are into it because, again, it's short form speaking of conversations and everything. But it's also the same when we look at newspapers and podcasts. 90% of the time, people want to hear something on a podcast than instead of reading it in a newspaper. Here's the other thing. Do you think that this is a form of, of medium that will disappear in the, in the most, I would say, what, 10 years, we'll say? And why do you think that? That's a great question. Uh, what will happen to long-form stories in the newspapers? I mean... Uh, you know, there are certainly, you know, some of them still exist and then they can become podcasts, you know, like, uh, Dirty John in Los Angeles became a podcast and, and, uh, which was started out as a, as a long form, uh, series of, of stories in the, um, in the, in the Los Angeles Times. I think that, uh, I think that, okay, here's what I think. I think that journalists, human beings are just so dedicated to finding out the truth about their lives and understanding their lives. I think people will, will keep on writing these stories and telling their stories. And some stories, you know, should be very short and some stories should be longer. They require more. And I think people will keep doing it. So that's the, that's the, that's the positive part of, of how I feel about things. And then the negative part about how I feel is that, um, you know, whether it's TV stations or newspapers, they're going to have less money for people to do uh, uh, investigative stories or, or longer stories or deeper stories. I mean, you see it obviously on uh, TV. I'm not saying anything new here. You see it on TV. All, they, all it is is talking heads. They don't have people, I'm exaggerating, they don't have people actually doing reporting. And, you know, you check the newspapers. Uh, it is, one of my it favorite small-town newspapers, the Glens Falls Post-Star up in New York, they used to have 50 reporters. Now they have eight. And by the way, one of their stories was the basis for my novel, The Necklace. So I owe them a great deal. I read the story and I, eight years later, I wrote the novel about the story. Um, and then, the, you know, the Los Angeles Times, you get a copy of it. It's like one eighth as thick as it used to be. It's like ridiculous. The national news is like, I don't know, two page. I mean, it's really short. So, so with less money, you know, it's just going to be harder to have people, you know, write these, uh, you know, write these stories. They're just going to have to do it out of their passion. On the other hand, you know, because people oh. still do have this hunger to know what's going on in life, in the world, 
you know, maybe we will figure out, you know, a better way to monetize. You know, my son is very optimistic about these things, says, you know, we're going to we're going to figure out a system where if you want to read something on the on, on the Internet, you pay. Uh, it's not necessarily free. You pay maybe point zero one cent or whatever point, you know, one cent. It'll be like Spotify or something. Anytime you read something in the, you know, in the, in the, on the, you know, online, you know, somebody gets a tiny bit of money. So maybe there'll be some way still that people can monetize. So that's a really long answer, but I guess, you know, part of me says it's just human nature. We're just going to, we are going to figure out a way to, you know, keep telling stories, keep telling what's happening at the local, you know, school board meetings where these idiots are trying to, you know, prevent people from teaching actual stuff. And uh, library board meetings where people are trying to ban books. You know, we're going to find a way to, you know, keep reporting about these local things that are super important. Um, and then the other part of me worries that, you know, there's just going to be less money in it and, and like that. Um, so it depends, I guess. I don't know how you feel about it, but it depends on, you know, what mood I'm in at a particular time as to what I think is going to happen. Well, I, I think it's it's an up and down. It's like you and your your son. I think it's just going to it's going to change over time. It's going to go up, and there's going to be a lot of people wanting to learn more about it in long term form. And then you know there's going to be those again short term as well. I think we're just in the short term phase right now. Um, and I think at some time it's probably going to get better because when we're looking at a lot of the things that are going on in the world. Even in, you know, the literature that we, we read, uh, especially as, you know, a mystery writer yourself, a true crime, uh, connoisseur per se, um, it's never going to go away. It's always going to be there, unfortunately. And unfortunately, you know, it's part of our, our genetics is that we just love intrigue. We love finding out the whodunits. We love to investigate things and, I don't think that it's ever going to go away. And I think it's always interesting when we're looking at Petra as well, her viewpoints on what's driving her in this kind of, I have to figure this out because it wasn't there for me and my family. So I'm going to do it for other people's families. I'm going to be their voice. And when we're looking at that, in, in the end, basically, when we look at the characters, because we all know these characters live within us. It, they're just a part of us. How does this experience in the form of what Petra is going through relate to your views of justice and the criminal justice system itself? Uh, Petra comes into the uh, story uh, believing that the cops have given up on the case of her friend's murder. Uh, and she's right. She's absolutely right. The cops have given up because the cops thought they had the, uh, the actual killer. I, I think I can say this without being a spoiler. It happens early in the book. Um, the cops believe that they know who killed the, the, uh, this person and the jury found the killer not guilty. So the cop's job is over. You know, there's nothing we can do. The jury already said this guy's uh, not guilty. So Petra is really frustrated the cops have given up and she's going out to solve the crime. And it's certainly true that if uh, police officers or anybody, you know, if you've done your best and it hasn't worked out, sometimes you just move on. And that's not an indictment of the police. It's just the way people are. 
So uh, she's willing to do anything to uh, solve solve a crime. Uh, and, um, you know, it's good. Sometimes, you know, it, everybody needs to have their feet held to the fire sometimes. So she's, she's holding uh, the policeman's feet to the fire. And, um, you know, my general belief about, about police officers or, or, or the police department is that, uh, you know, we have a lot of problems in our society. We have a lot of problems. And we look for the police to solve everything. And they just can't. And also, we look for uh, teachers, by the way, to solve everything. And they just can't. There are problems that can't be solved by better education and by, by more better policing, although we want both. Uh, so, you know, uh -huh. I think that's a story. So Petra and what she does is really willing to uh, cut corners in order to get the truth and in order to get clicks. She's always trying to get the truth about her her uh, friend's murder, but she's also trying to get clicks for her podcast. So she is willing to cut corners for it. And that's a staple in any uh, mystery, murder mystery, or on TV or in books or whatever. And I think it often occurs in real life is that police officers will often, you know, cut corners if they feel they know who the killer is. They'll cut corners in order to make sure they, they get that person. And uh, Petra does that as a reporter, and it has, uh, you know, tremendous consequences for her. So I, I sort of I sort of sympathize, empathize with her for, for going this route, even though it causes problems for her, because you know, she does want to find a killer and she does want fame and clicks and I would want those two in her position. Uh so I think, you know, I think that's that's her story and it and it makes sense to me. I mean for me personally, um I when I see uh a like the most egregious form of cutting corners, which Petra certainly doesn't do, but the most egregious form is, is torture, of course. And people, uh, will, watching TV will often accept, you know, their heroes, you know, torturing people on screen as necessary and good. And I find it, uh, very interesting because sometimes I, I will kind of emotionally kind of accept it too. You have to torture that guy. He's an effing, most terrible person in the world and 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 he knows something that could you know save a hundred lives if you get him to reveal it i understand people's passion to solve crimes and solve the truth and it causes people to do very interesting things and certainly causes petra in the book to do interesting things and um, i do find those kind of moral gray areas to be the most interesting things to write about yeah because again it's human nature we we see something bad we feel like the person who's doing it needs to go through it as well, or they deserved whatever happened to them. Even though many times we don't know the entire story. Speaking of which, we have come to the point of the show, which I am really excited to start doing from now on. And that is create doing a little improv character creation. And the way this works is that I am randomly going to give you some characteristics for a character, and I want you to show off your creativity to our listeners and try to bring this character to life in your world around your characters and just see what we can come up with real quick. I've already brought up some random characteristics and you can pick a name and everything else. Okay. 
So this is a woman who is in her early adulthood, and she is someone who wants to get into criminal justice. Okay. The part of the story is, is that she has seen everything about the Olivia Anderson trial and she wants to become famous. She is willing to challenge herself and she wants to, excuse me, something involved in the criminal justice world. Her faults are is that she is not very bright and she is someone who is very narcissistic and her communication skills are lacking. Go. <laughs> okay, so let me run this down. This is a woman in her early 20s. She's not that bright. She doesn't communicate that well. She's narcissistic. But she really wants to get into the criminal justice system, and she wants to uh, use the Olivia Anderson trial from the book as a, as a stepping stone. Uh, she's in her mid twenties, so <laughs> I love this character. Okay, so what what am I what am I what do you, okay what, what how would I how would I do this story? Oh my god! All right, all right, I'll create a better story. <laughs> My first name for her is Noodlehead, but I'm sure that wouldn't, that wouldn't be quite right. But in my mind, that's her name. I'll call her, uh, Neva. Her name is Neva. Um, she's, she's rich. I don't know why I say she's rich, but, uh, maybe because she's narcissistic. Anyway, she's, she's rich. She wants to get into the criminal justice system, but she's not that bright. She doesn't have communication skills because, uh, like, you know, like when you're rich, you just say stuff and people want stuff from you. So like, you don't have to be that nice of a person. Because they'll just like say, oh, I'll have to laugh at all your jokes. Okay, so she's rich. She's narcissistic. And she's not that bright. Um, she never, you know, applied herself at school. She just, I don't know what, what she did. But she, she's just not that bright. I don't know. Maybe her, maybe her parents aren't that bright. They got, they got famous by being whatever. Um, the Kardashians, I think, are smart. But she got, she got famous by being, you know, the kid of some influencers. I, I don't know. So, and then she's... Uh, Okay, she, I don't know why she wants to get into the criminal justice system because I don't know why that, that interests her. I mean, this character, she's not that bright. She wouldn't want to be a lawyer. She wouldn't want to be, well, would she, would she want, I don't think she'd want to be a cop. Seems too dangerous, but maybe. Um, trying to think, like my instinct is she would want to be a crook. I <laughs> you said she could be in the criminal justice system. So I think, ah, you know what? Just to have her be an effing serial killer. <laughs> she sees, you know, she, she watched the original trial of Olivia Anderson and she saw this guy. She thought he got away with murder and she thought, that's really cool. That's really fun. So she decides, you know, she's, she, she's, you know, her life is kind of empty. You know, her parents have never been home. They didn't teach her the right values. You know, she was, um, her babysitter was, was, uh, YouTube or whatever. She started getting on some bad YouTube channels or whatever. And, um, so she decides this, this would be kind of interesting. And, um, and she's always been kind of vicious. And, uh, who knows? Maybe she got banged on the head. And, uh, so she becomes a serial killer. 
that I, I wasn't expecting you to go down, down that road, but you know what? It is part of the criminal justice system. So you're not wrong on that. Oh man, I love that. That's perfect. You need to you need to remember this stuff to write it into your next book. So I love I it. I love it. So now we've come to the point where we talk about you specifically. Oh fun. So I have I have a few questions. Uh Real quick, brief answers to this. One, who inspired you the most to continue writing your books, to writing your plays, your your books, your everything, anything that you work on? I'd say the person who inspired me most to start writing plays is really easy for me to, to remember because it was Karen Kramer who taught my 10th grade uh, drama class. And uh, I had a crush on her, my crush. Absolutely. And uh, she suggested that I, I write a play. So I did. And it uh, got performed at the local uh, United uh, Methodist uh, Church. And I got hooked. So I kept writing plays. So she was the biggest inspiration on my playwriting. And I will say that about 30 years later, my father ran into her at a University of Cincinnati function. And he said, oh, you're Karen Kramer. He said, you know, you're the reason that my son got into writing. Um, he had a question on you. And she said, yeah, Matt Witten. Yeah, I remember him. He was cute. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Hearing that was one of the, it was fabulous. That's awesome. All right. Have you ever wrote a character based on someone in real in real life that you instantly made the victim absolutely uh, my my novel the killing bee where an elementary school gets uh, bashed on the head with a, kill, a spelling bee and uh, trophy and killed um, that's inspired by the uh, principal of the school that my kids went to who just drove us crazy because he just did not do what we wanted and so we hated him wow. and so i killed him off yeah that was a lot of fun killing him. <laughs> wow. Okay. Hopefully he already knew that. <laughs> this is not the first time he's hearing this. That would be bad. All right. Uh, what is your writing kryptonite? What's my writing kryptonite? Uh, God, I have so many. <laughs> well, I would say... My biggest writing kryptonite now, I I'm not sure. I think sometimes um, sometimes I sometimes I think I don't hang loose as much as I should. Uh, it takes me a while to hang loose. Maybe that's true though of every writer. But I'll start you, you know a little bit more like like making sure I get it down and make the get the point across and and um, so a character mm -hmm. might like it might be overwritten. Like the character might say you know. I, I believe that the chair in the living room could perhaps be nicer, you know, and, and so the character might talk like that. And then, you know, in my rewrite, I might, you know, get around to, you know, man, that chair looks like crap, you know, like the way people really talk. Um, so I don't know if that's kryptonite exactly, but it's something that I, that I, that I notice that I, that I have to work on. I'm working on it today, but in fact, so. Um, I think that happens with a lot of people, honestly, with any writing. Uh, no matter what yep. medium it is, everybody does a lot of you know 
a lot uh it's too wordy too being too wordy is definitely one of mine too all right final question is there a quote or song or something that inspires you to continue writing one of my favorite quotes about writing is from the essayist and novelist ishmael reed and his quote is a writing is fighting um so I, I keep that in mind all the time. And then as to other quotes, I don't use this myself exactly, but something I will tell other people often, aspiring writers, which is that uh, the definition of writer is one who writes. So if you write, then you're a writer. That's true. That is true. I appreciate you, Matt, so much in sitting down with me, having this conversation Please, this is the time where I give the floor to everyone. Tell us where we can find you, if there's anything big coming up that you're a part of, even, you know, what's next for Matt Witten. Okay, sure. Uh, people can find me on my website, uh, mattwittenwriter.com, and they can also find me on Goodreads and uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter. And... My novel that we've been talking about, Killer Story, just came out last month. Uh, my novel, The Necklace, came out last year. And right now, uh, well, actually, right now, my my, uh, my agent is sending out my next novel, Brainstorm, right now. And as for what I'm doing right now, I just got hired to write a Hallmark mystery movie. So I'm writing a Hallmark mystery movie. Yeah, it's really fun. It's called A Dark and Stormy Murder. And it's based on the novel. A Dark and Stormy Murder by Julia Buckley. So my deadline for that is May 1 before the writer strike. So I'm working like a dog, cheerful dog, to get that done before May 1. And uh, hopefully they'll shoot it this summer and it'll come out this fall. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll root for that. Thank you again, Matthew. I really appreciate you being on here. Thank you, Maccabee. I enjoyed talking with you. Hey folks, that's a wrap for this episode of Beyond the Pen. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you'd like to stay connected and up to date with everything Beyond the Pen, follow us on Twitter at Beyond the Pen Pod and Instagram at Beyond the Pen Podcast. For even more content and exclusive access to our guest profiles and more, make sure to visit our website at beyondthepenpodcast.com. Don't forget to join our Facebook fan page to interact with our favorite authors and fellow fans of the show. And if you want to take your Beyond the Pen experience to the next level, check out our selection of video interviews on Traverse TV's video on demand and live stream. You can access these interviews through your Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, Google Play, iTunes, or the Traverse TV app. So until next time, thanks again for tuning in and remember to keep writing inspiring and sharing as you go beyond the pen.